Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center. Dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod. From the Register Guard newsroom, here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek. Okay, we're back for another episode of the Duck Pod. It is mid-May, Austin. We have a, an official countdown of sorts. We knew, obviously, that Oregon was playing Auburn on August 31st to open the season, but now we know it's going to be on ABC at 4.30 Pacific time. Set your watches accordingly. Yeah, synchronize. Get the clock going. So we're about 100 days out. To me, that's kind of – that means it's getting close to me because, you know, summer goes by so fast. We're, we're going to be at fall camp before we know it. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's that uh, – you sort of get that uh, that kind of crescendo that's building toward uh, media days. Uh, to me, once you, once you hit media days in July, that's when it's like, okay, you know, it's here. Um, now it's kind of you know it's sort of that object in the distance that you can uh, you can feel it coming. Uh, as you said, you know it's the time of year when uh, a kickoff time is is newsworthy uh, because everybody's so starved for college football that uh, that just announcing uh, that the Ducks are playing in prime time uh, sort of whets the appetite a little bit. Uh, but there's still some some stuff that's going to happen between now and then, and some of that we're going to talk about uh, on the podcast today with our guest Matt Preem from DuckTerritory.com. Uh, just in in the last week, Oregon picked up uh, a transfer uh, who's also a, a freshman. Uh, a unique situation with cornerback Chris Steele, who was at Florida, uh, left Florida now is coming to Oregon, and everybody thinks that he's going to be eligible to play uh, right away. So uh, potentially a a big pickup for the Ducks at kind of an unusual time. Yeah, another California prospect that, you know, was a part of the 2019 recruiting class. Uh, Officially, he won't count towards Oregon's ranking, but certainly if he would have chose Oregon from the get-go, that would have made their class even stronger than it already was, which was... Uh, number one in the Pac-12 and, and number seven overall nationally. So um, the coaching staff continues to to do well on the recruiting trail. The 2020 class, I believe, has seven commitments already, including uh, a quarterback. Jay Butterfield is committed to Oregon verbally, and uh, you know we're going to get into that more with our guest momentarily. But all of a sudden, Oregon has you know a redshirt sophomore quarterback in Tyler Shuck. They have uh, actually, he's a redshirt freshman. He did not play more than four games. And then they have a true freshman, Kale Millen. And then in 2020, they'll have 
another touted recruit. So that quarterback room uh, starting to get ready for that post-Justin Herbert era. Yeah, and we'll talk about this with Matt, but you know, I, I think on our last podcast we talked about Oregon going after DJ Wu and Alele, uh, the number one ranked quarterback in the 2020 class. He was at the spring game. Uh, it was thought that Oregon was kind of a long shot to land him. Uh, he goes to Clemson, which is what everybody expected pretty much. Uh, but it's definitely, a, you know, it definitely says something about Oregon that, you know, they were in a position uh, to be able to chase after a quarterback like DJ uh, and still have, um, you know, still have other options when he goes somewhere else. You know, it's not like sometimes in a situation, you know, for a program like Oregon, maybe, you know, you've got a player on the West Coast like DJ who is like a once in a generation quarterback and you put all your eggs in that basket. You're like, this is the guy we got to have. You know, he's in our backyard. Uh, you know, the consensus number one recruit. Uh, well, then he goes to Clemson. What do you do? And Oregon clearly, you know, gamed this out and understood where where they were at with DJ. That absolutely, you got to you got to recruit him. And I think for Oregon to be in the top two with a player like that was. Uh, regardless of whether he comes here or not, is, is significant. Uh, but then to have a quarterback like Jay Butterfield, who they also had, had recruited hard and obviously connected with um, and you know had been able to you know, be open with him about the fact that they were recruiting another guy at his position, a, a lot of times with quarterbacks, and this is how it always was you know, with Mark Helfrich, and I think this is part of where Oregon got in trouble after Marcus Mariota is when when Oregon recruited quarterbacks in in the previous era, they basically recruited quarterbacks one at a time. They would have a guy and they would recruit that guy and he would get all of their attention. And then if he went somewhere else, uh, sometimes it would feel like they were kind of uh, left in the lurch. In this situation, you know, they had two guys that they were uh, recruiting very aggressively, um, you know, made them both feel like a priority. And so the one guy goes to Clemson, uh, and Oregon is right there in position uh, to go ahead and, and get a commitment from a, a pretty high-level quarterback for the 2020 class. Yeah, so let's uh, find out more about these uh, recruiting stories with our, our guest Matt Preem from 247 Sports. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, as promised, we have recurring guest Matt Preem from 247 Sports. Uh, as they say, recruiting never stops, and Oregon's been in the news with several programs and, and recruiting. Uh, in this case, a transfer who's a 2019 recruit, the latest Chris Steele, a really coveted defensive back, uh, is transferring from Florida to Oregon. Uh, he's also from California, like many of Oregon's top recruits from this class that they've recently signed matt what are your thoughts on, on chris Steele and that whole saga of him going out to the east coast for a while and then coming back to oregon yeah you know it, it was a guy that 
in 2019 during the the recruiting cycle, I guess you could say, uh, he was very close to committing to Oregon a couple different times. He never actually officially visited on his own. He used his five official visits to some other schools, Florida being one, USC, uh, a couple other schools, and he flew up on his own dime um, to check out Oregon unofficially and was blown away by the, I guess, the pitch and the relationship that he had, was able to develop in a short matter of time with the coaching staff. And so Oregon, when he backed off his USC commitment, it was kind of one of those deals where it was, hey, it's probably going to be Oregon or it's probably going to be Florida because those were the two other finalists for him when he was kind of looking at opening things back up again uh, out of USC. And, and so when the transfer news hit that he was into the portal uh, coming out of Florida – after spring football, you know, the, the immediate reaction was, well, Oregon's got a, a really good chance because he decommitted because of the, the the uncertainty at USC and all the craziness that's happened. And to reality, the, nothing has really changed at USC since then. And it everything just kind of lined up for Oregon to make a lot of sense there. And Oregon quickly got in touch with them and, because uh, once you get put in the portal, that that allows schools to to make contact, and they were, you know, one of the first schools to reach out to him and, and just say, "Hey, we've, we've got a spot for you if if you want it." And things moved pretty quickly. I wasn't expecting his decision to be this quick, um, but everything we had heard, and you know, I was told shortly after uh, he announced that he was, or it, it was put out that he was in the portal, uh, that it was kind of Oregon would have to mess this up not to get him, and. Uh, they, they did enough, and now he, he comes in, and they've got the two top cornerbacks on the West Coast. Uh, both guys, Michael Wright, already here on campus. Chris Dio will arrive in, in June, and, you know, they're they're four and five in the country nationally at the cornerback spot. And Dio has the ability to play safety if he wants, or if Morgan wants, I guess. And he, got, he adds some versatility, he adds some size, but – You've got your your replacements for Thomas Graham and, and Diomede Lenore now. If either of those guys go pro after the 2019 season, or if when they graduate in 2020, kind of a, an unusual situation uh, with with Chris Steele. You know, certainly an extenuating circumstance with him. He's rooming with a guy uh, who ends up being accused of uh, sexual misconduct, uh, and and that's the reason why he's looking to leave Florida after a short amount of time. Is is the thought that it's just a slam dunk that he's going to be eligible to play right away since he, he is coming in as a transfer even though he was at Florida for a very short amount of time? Uh, is the idea that he's going to be able to play right away? And, uh, yeah, do you see him being a guy who could be on the field right away as a freshman? Yeah, that's – I know internally at Oregon they feel that way. I know at the Chris Steele camp feels that you know, they have a case to get the waiver to, to get um, eligible right away because – their, their argument's going to be that they Chris Steele went to the, the Florida coaching staff and said that he didn't feel like he was in a safe place uh, with his roommate, and the coaching staff at Florida didn't really do anything about it. Uh, or you know, they, they said they could they could move him in the summer, but he he was talking about he, he didn't he didn't feel safe then, and so that's kind of their basis. And and on top of that, you know, the waivers that we've seen uh, of guys get you know deemed eligible right away uh, of just literally, I'm not going to play at this school. I want to go somewhere else. And guys get cleared. 
it it would th- I would think he he gets cleared. Um, the confidence from both sides is pretty high in that, and yeah, I do think he he will be a guy that will will be on the football field. Um, he's not going to be a guy that plays four games in red shirts unless you know some kind of injury happens during fall camp or some kind of injury happens during the season. He's he's that talented. Um, he was supposed to be a, a key contributor for for the Gators this season as a, as a true freshman. Uh, and I think those two programs are, are pretty similar in terms of talent right now. Uh, but, yeah, he, he will find a way on the field. And it's just going to be kind of where. I, I, my initial reaction is he's probably going to be a special teams guy, and he'll probably fight for the, the spot to be the third nickel back and you know, probably be you know, one of the four guys that, that rotates in. Matt, I, I don't think you guys will you know, recalculate the, the rankings for that recruiting class because he's a transfer, but you know, given his – star power in the recruiting world where do you think Oregon's class would rank if you add him on to what they already had for for 2019 yeah um well there's been some conflicting information internally for us I've you know I've asked uh does Chris still count I don't believe he should because he enrolled in into uh, another university he took part in spring practices um I, I, if he does count, we've counted. We've figured out the math already. Oregon moves into number five uh, for the 2019 recruiting class, which you know they were seventh already, already the greatest class in, in, in the recruiting era uh, of you know 24/7 sports in the composite. So you know the class gets even better if it becomes top five. But I, I personally just don't think if you sign a national letter of intent and. Uh, you leave or you get out of that national letter of intent outside of a coaching change um, or some, maybe this is a circumstance that's, you know, special and unique that qualifies. I don't know, but I just don't think you should count towards a a ranking if, if you enroll into a school and even take part in spring classes. But if it does, uh, Oregon's five in the country for 2019. So the Ducks also picked up a quarterback for the class of 2020 it was not DJ Wu and Alele, uh, the number one uh, number one ranked quarterback in the class who picked Clemson. Not a big surprise there. But then the Ducks turn around uh, and they get Jay Butterfield. Um, Matt, what does it say about them that they were able to be in the hunt uh, for DJ, miss out on him, and then have another uh, highly rated quarterback uh, sort of next man up mentality come in and commit pretty quickly thereafter? Yeah, this was a, a really impressive recruitment from Oregon's coaching staff, one of the better ones that you've seen uh, in the last couple of seasons, just because DJ is like a once-in-a-20-year type player uh, because he, he could be a first-round baseball draft pick. He could be you know, a, a guy that in, in two or three years is going to be a, a top-ten draft pick in the NFL. And you know, it's very rare that you see that kind of an athlete. He's humongous and you know very athletic very smart and Butterfield any other year would have been the the number one target for for almost every school in the Pac-12 uh, just be on the west coast because he's that good uh he just happened to be in the same year as a guy that's you know a once in 10 or once in 20 year type of a, of a recruit and DJ and so Oregon did a really good job of communicating to Jay that hey, we have to go after DJ, but just because we're giving him so much attention doesn't mean we don't like you as well, just as much. And he told me that. I went down to, to the Oakland 
the opening regional, and, and he said that, you know, Oregon staff was very upfront, very honest, and he really appreciated that. And I didn't think when DJ committed to Clemson, um, I, I thought that opened the door for Butterfield to go. I, I was, you know, expecting him to commit to Oregon. And again, just like Steele, I didn't think it would happen this quickly. Uh, and he, he told me at, at, at the Oakland Regional that he just, he was ready. He, he was he was done. He was tired of the recruiting process um, and wanted to get things done before his senior season kind of really kicked off. Um, and I talked to Greg Biggins, our, one of our national recruiting directors and at the event, and asked him just kind of, if if you had to pick who's your front runner to go between you know, Sh- uh, Shuck or M- Millen or Butterfield when Herbert leaves, uh, he surprised me. He said Butterfield. He, he felt Butterfield was that good of a player that he, he's going to you know, come in and have a chance to play day one as, as a true freshman. And, you know, that's the caliber of a guy that they're getting. He's the third highest player to ever commit for Oregon uh, in, in the recruiting ranking era uh, at quarterback. The only guys higher than him are Kellen Clemens and Dennis Dixon. So, yeah, I mean, we're all going to try to enjoy the Justin Herbert experience one more year but just looking ahead to 2020 and you kind of touched on it I mean how much better equipped is Oregon to you know replace a star quarterback this time around than they were after the Mariota era ended now obviously Vernon Adams Jr. had a a really great season when he was healthy but just in terms of recruiting your own and having a long-term solution it, it looks like Oregon's starting to get in pretty good position that at least one of these guys will pop for them. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think I think for the first time since 2012, uh, Oregon's quarterback room looks a lot looks healthy. Um, 2012 was when Mariota, as a redshirt freshman, beat out Brian Bennett as a as a sophomore, and they they had uh, someone else on the roster as well that year that was that was really good or solid for for you know a Pac-12 level team and. This is kind of where I'm at now, and, and from a long-term perspective, you know that I, th- I think if Herbert were, were to get hurt this season, you know, Chuck is is probably good enough to to get you to eight or, or maybe nine wins because of all the other talent around him. But you know, obviously Herbert's a step up from from what Chuck is right now. But I, I think they've now got enough options between Chuck, uh, Butterfield, and and then Kale Millen that you can feel confident that someone will emerge for 2020 and be the guy that you know can kind of help stabilize the depth at, at this position and then on top of that you, you've got competition and legit competition of two really good highly rated prospects and and Chuck and Butterfield and then Millen is a guy that you know you, you talk to people that that scout you know college football prospects across the country and, and Millen's a guy that everyone says that has you know, an insanely high ceiling and he's just touching his potential because of his, his body growth and uh, the development he's had in his game, switching from receiver to quarterback. So you've got three really, I think, really promising players, and it's been, it hasn't been that way at Oregon for a really long time because you've either had two and then nothing after that, or you've had some guys that have come in and um, you know, maybe one of them turns out to be a little bit better than his ranking was, but you know the other guys are, are clearly obvious that they were overrated coming in or, or way more raw than expected. And I, I think all three of the, the guys that they've got between Chuck, Millen, and uh, Butterfield are, are, are a lot 
further along in their development than, than previously guys that have Oregon has signed outside of Marcus and, and Justin Herbert, really. Matt, last uh, last question for you here. Uh, when you got into this, you probably didn't cover a lot of women's basketball recruiting. It's uh, kind of an adjustment <laughs> for all of us to yeah, yeah to be following the uh, the women's basketball uh, recruiting class. But uh, over the last few weeks, Kelly Graves has uh, really uh, really brought in some big time prospects for that 2020 class. Uh, they just picked up Maddie Schur, a top 25 player from Kentucky. Uh, Tahina Pow Pow, which is such a great name, uh, you can tell she's going to be a fan favorite. Uh, yep. how's this, uh, how's the 2020 class shaping up? Could this be the number one class in the nation? Uh, do you think, and is it potentially on par with, with, uh, the group that Kelly Graves brought in a few years ago with, uh, Ruthie Hebert and Sabrina Unescu? Yeah, you, you look at the, the class that they've got right now and it's pretty remarkable. Um, uh, there, it, it, it's, it's very difficult. I, I don't want to say no to your, your question about is this going to be a number one class because I think it could be um, but women's basketball recruiting is extremely hard to get an idea because there's very little information of rankings out there. I think mm-hmm. ESPN has some and then there's one other source out there that, that's got rankings but from you know from a, going just off of what ESPN has you know for for their rankings the Ducks already have a five star commit they've got two more that are in the top 25 uh, and then they've got a top 40 commit as well and uh and pow pow and they're trying to add two you know maybe three more players to this class and and yeah it looks it looks like that they're going to have another wave of talented freshmen kind of like what Sabrina and Ruthie did when they were freshmen under Kelly Graves of you know find you know five to, to seven of the best players in the country that you can find and let's hope that you know three or four of those players pan out to be as good as they are, and maybe one of them is slightly lower than expected. And, and if, if that comes you know, to fruition, you've got a really talented core group of, of girls on your team. And Kelly Graves has done a really good job. He's been able to parlay the Final Four run off of two straight Elite Eight runs. Uh, and it, it, the women's basketball and interest in our site, I'm sure for you guys, is I'm just – floored by it there's a huge demand of you know people want to know about recruiting now people want to know about the team in in may and in june and april and you know this this wasn't even going on two years ago i think when when sabrina and ruthie and them were were, were freshmen mm-hmm. and to see how far this program has come they've been able to capitalize tremendously on uh the brand power it's starting to, to develop since we're at the end of the pod i'll i'll expand on that you know inside baseball question like do you think we're inside this bubble of Oregon where everyone's obsessed with the team because they're so good or do you think the sports picking up steam nationally and that you could see down the road 247 sports creating its own you know girls basketball recruiting databases and and that sort of thing yeah I I think down the road basketball from a women's perspective will continue to climb I, I, I think if you look at, yeah, I think we're in a little bit of a bubble here. Um, it helps that Oregon and Oregon State in this state are both very good, and so that kind of creates, you know, well, my team's better, well, your team's better type mentality. But the women's game seems to be growing, and I think the women's game is also probably one that people can relate more from a, a, a human perspective because there doesn't seem to be as much 
I have no data to back this up. This is just my, you know, assessment. But there doesn't seem to be as much roster turnover as the men's do. You know, the, the guys are going pro, guys are grad transferring, guys are, are are leaving, you know, despite having an opportunity to be a key piece the next year uh, because they want they want 35 minutes instead of 25 minutes. Um, and, and you don't see that as often, in my opinion, with, with women's basketball. And so with, you know, yeah, the, the – the, the class that Sabrina and Ruthie came in with, you know, a couple of those girls were transferred out, but that was expected when you signed seven players. You know, you're 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 banking on the fact that, you know, five or four of them stick, and you know, maybe two or three end up leaving somewhere because the reality is they want to, you know, they want to play, and after a couple of years that they go, and then you, you go through this again, and I think that's why the, you know, we're we're seeing at Oregon at least, you know, the, the information, you know, the, the fandom. Rise. People relate to them. They know the players. Uh, you know, and you look across the country, some of the the really good teams, and they're starting to pop up more and more. You know, Louisville's really good now. Notre Dame's really good now. Um, you know, Tennessee and UConn have always been good. Mississippi State, uh, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA is, is you know turning a corner. So that more and more teams are starting to you know catch up to the UConns. And, and while UConn's always going to be the favorite. You know, it's becoming less and less of a shock that UConn doesn't win at all every year. I think that helps the sport grow. Well, there's never a dull moment in recruiting. That's why DuckTerritory.com is a must-read. Matt, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for your insight, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Duck Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. 